Welcome to the 42nd episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we are doing a full breakdown of UFC Fight Night Derek Brunson versus Darren Till. There's going to be a lot to talk about in that one because Derek Brunson and Darren Till are both at very interesting points in their career. And there's going to be a lot to touch on in both of those. We're going to look at some of the other important fights on that card. Tom Aspinall fought. Jack Shore fought. Patty Pimblett fought. There was a lot of good fights on that card. So we're going to talk about those. There were some other things that happened that we need to address. And we're also going to look at some of the most recent fight announcements. And like always, we're going to end it off looking forward to next week's fight card, which is headlined by Anthony Smith and Ryan Spann. So we're going to start it off right at the top. Derek Brunson versus Darren Till. This was a very interesting matchup, and if you watched last week's episode, I sat here and I said, this is going to come down to if Darren Till can stop a Derek Brunson takedown. And if he can, he will be able to win on the feet, but if he cannot, he's going to lose this fight. Now, what we did learn was that Darren Till struggled to stop the takedown, but more, what was more negative for Darren Till was that once Derek Brunson did get a takedown. He really struggled to get up off the bottom. And he struggled to defend himself off bottom. And those are some of the things that, you know, kind of go untalked about going into a fight with a wrestler and a striker. It's always can they stop the takedowns, but it's never what happens if they get taken down. Because there were some moments where Darren Till did struggle to stop takedowns. But there were also some moments where he looked good in some takedown defense. He stuffed a couple in the second round. I believe he stuffed one at the end of the first round. So there were some moments where Darren Till was able to stuff some takedowns. There were some other moments where he wasn't able to. But like I said earlier, when he wasn't able to stop that takedown, very little ability to get up. I mean, it looked similar to what Kevin Holland did off the bottom. Against Derek Brunson, Kevin Holland just kind of laid there and really, really kept close so that Derek Brunson could not posture up and land heavy ground and pound. In this fight, Derek Brunson was able to land some of that ground and pound, and he did some great work with the ground and pound. Overall, I was very impressed by Derek Brunson because he did go in there and he did execute the game plan he was looking to execute. Anytime there's a fight and one fighter comes in with a clear and obvious game plan and they can execute that, you always have to be impressed. That's one of the reasons everyone loves Habib so much. Everyone knows Habib's going to go in there and try and take you down and hold you down, but you just can't do anything about it. That's what Derek Brunson did to Darren Till. Now, for Derek Brunson, as good as this performance was, and I think this is probably his best performance out of his most recent matches, but I just don't think the title shot is the next right step for him. I think we need to see Derek Brunson versus Jared Cannonier. We're also going to see Marvin Vittori versus Paulo Costa. So this division is really, really close for who's going to get that next title shot. Obviously, Rob is getting the next one, but we're talking about the one after that because we're starting to get guys lined up for Izzy. And... For me, as much as Derek Brunson might be ahead of Jared Cannonier, if you had to pick someone right now to fight for the title, you can make the case that Brunson is more deserving than Cannonier. But where I struggle with that is there's a lot of things that can change 
in between now and when that fight actually happens. That fight is probably going to be six months down the road. So there really is no point in sitting out those six months and who knows what's going to happen. The landscape in MMA changes very quickly. Even if you look at two, three weeks ago when Jared Cannonier fought, um, everyone was asking him whether he would want to take another fight or sit out for that title shot. Now we're having the same discussion with Derek Brunson and we've completely forgot about Jared Cannonier. That just goes to show how quick things can change. And then once we get this Paulo Costa and Marvin Vittori fight in, the winner of that is also going to have a legit shot uh, or a legit claim for the next title shot. So I think for Cannonier and for Brunson, they should fight. That helps each other. The winner it becomes a clear and obvious next fight. Now they don't have to compete with each other in terms of getting a contract signed. They can compete with each other in the cage to determine who gets that shot. I think it's beneficial to both, like I said, and I think that would be a very interesting, um, very fun matchup because Jared Cannonier and Derek Brunson both coming off great wins. I think that would be a good fight. So that's the direction I think the UFC should go. And also, I don't like the idea of Brunson versus Adesanya 2 really at all. I don't know what there was in that first fight for Brunson that really stands out in terms of um, being able to go back and get that win back. Um, if you look at his most recent fights, a lot of the issues that Brunson had in this Till fight in, and in the, in the Kevin Holland fight were issues he had against Izzy. For example, in that Darren Till fight in the third round right before that finishing sequence, Darren Till was landing some good shots, and Darren Till was really hurting Brunson, had Brunson hurt bad, and then um, Brunson attempts a takedown, they scramble, and Derek Brunson wins that scramble, finds himself in a very, very good position, and finishes the fight. Um, good on the second half of that, but he's still getting caught, and when Izzy catches you, it's a lot different from when you get caught by Darren Till. Um there were moments in the Kevin Holland fight where Kevin Holland landed some good strikes. Um, and then Derek Brunson goes into panic wrestling. And when he did that against Izzy, it didn't work out too well for him. So that's really my basis on that. Um, like I said, the two big things for Brunson, I don't really think he can be out of Sanya right now. And I don't know that he gets that shot regardless of what happens at 185, so might as well um, book a number one contenders fight. For Darren Till. Darren Till is in a really, really interesting spot. And it's not the good type of interesting. It's, it's a bad type of interesting. Because Darren Till has lost four of his last five. And before we go any further, just be warned that I am a big Darren Till fan, so this is going to be a lot more pro Darren Till than many people are going to be. Now, Darren Till being, having one win in his last five, that was obviously against Kelvin Gastelum. Now, for Darren Till, even though he isn't getting wins, he's still having very strong moments and fights that makes you think, you know, I still believe at least that he's a very talented and top-tier middleweight. Um, but the problem is you have to cross that barrier from having good moments and having talent to getting those attributes and getting wins out of that. 
Um, if you look at the Jorge fight, in the Jorge fight, he had a very good first round against Jorge. Um, pretty sure he dropped Jorge and won that first round. Um, and then he gets caught in the second, gets knocked out. That's the end of that fight. If you look at the Robert Whitaker fight, he very clearly lost that fight. But outside of Adesanya, Darren Till had the closest, most competitive fight with Robert Whitaker out of recent memory. Especially if you compare that to the Cannoneer fight and the Calvin Gastelum fight. Um, Darren Till had a lot more moments than the other two. So I still think anytime you're going in there and you're losing a decision, a close decision to Robert Whitaker, I still think that says a lot about you as a fighter. And then in this fight, the Derek Brunson fight, was probably the worst stylistic matchup. You could match Derek Brunson, or excuse me, Derek Brunson is the worst stylistic matchup you could give to Darren Till. Someone who's not going to be willing to engage too much on the feet and is going to look to grapple the whole fight. That is the complete opposite of what, um, if Darren Till was making an ideal opponent, you know, Derek Brunson isn't the guy he comes up with. And in, even in the Derek Brunson fight, had some very good moments. He showed improvements. He was more active than he has been in a long time. His, his striking output in general um, looked very good. And then once we got to the third round, we even saw some in-fight adjustments. He started throwing more leg kicks in that third round. He was landing some good one-twos, mixed in some elbows. I really liked what I was saw I, what I saw in the stand-up for Darren Till. Now, obviously, um, that is not everything. There's more than stand-up, and outside of the stand-up, he was outmatched. Now, um, another thing is Darren Till's, like I, I touched on this earlier, I'm going to go more in-depth on it now, but Darren, Dill, Darren Till's takedown defense is not as bad as people are trying to make it seem. Darren Till had some good, some really good um, defensive wrestling in the early exchanges of wrestling. Once Darren Till's back hit the cage floor, he was in trouble. He didn't have a lot in terms of getting up, and I think a lot of that is probably, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but a good portion is probably based just off his size and, I mean, strength. I mean, Derek Brunson is a big guy who is very lean, who is very strong. Derek Till came in that fight, and he didn't look to be in the best shape we have seen him in um, throughout his career. Um, it, it looked like he was still doing fine cardio-wise going into that third round. Um, whether he started to fade after um, landing some good shots, I mean, that's a possibility, um, but we can't say for certain. So, Darren Till, um, he can really make a run here, I still believe, at 185. There's obviously always going to be people that Till can run into in this division because the contenders in this division, we have a lot of grapplers. Vittoria would come in and grapple Till. Brunson would grapple Till. Herman or did grapple Till. Hermanson would probably do a lot of grappling with Darren Till. So Till isn't going to be able to... Um, he is not going to be in a position where he can start dodging grapplers and not have to worry about facing grapplers because if you want to make it through, um, if you want to make it back to the top of that division, you're going to have to go through either Hermanson, Brunson, or 
Vittori. And there really is no way about it or around it. What's next for Darren Till? Um, actually, wait on that. One other thing I wanted to touch on was for Darren Till was that a lot of people are saying he should switch gyms. I don't think he needs to switch gyms. And my reasoning for that is because just because someone doesn't have um, great... Uh, Darren Till didn't show the best ability to get up off bottom. And a lot of people automatically associate that with needing to switch teams. What Darren Till needs to do is just bring in a couple wrestlers um, from U.S., U.S.-style wrestlers, um, even Russian-style wrestlers, I guess doesn't make a difference, but he just needs um, more of those in his practice room. Um, England, where he's training out of, isn't known for their wrestlers and their grapplers, so I think if he can just get a couple more high-quality wrestlers in his gym, I think that would help him a lot. I don't necessarily think he needs to, you know, ship off and go somewhere else. Um, could he? Yes, but I don't think that is a necessary change that um, needs to be made. And I think Till is very similar to Connor, where Till is fighting out of a very much, much smaller gym um, like Connor, and they're both very loyal to that gym. And I don't think either of them would ever even think about leaving. So um, some adjustments in the camp, yes. Complete change, um, I don't think so. And another thing, I think Darren Till needs to fight again soon. Darren Till has had a lot of health troubles and hasn't been able to fight frequently. And that's obviously not going to help him. And if people are worried about the shape he was in, the only way of getting better at that would be fighting more frequently. So I think Darren Till just needs to work a little bit more with some more, some more grapplers in camp and fight more frequently. And maybe we can see some different results from Darren. What is next for Darren? We'll move on to that. I don't... You could make the case, I guess, that say if Vittori loses or... Um, I don't know who Jack Hermanson is matched up with at the moment. But if Vittori loses to Costa, I wouldn't be surprised if they made that fight. I don't think that is a smart fight to make. But I, I would not put it past the UFC to book Vittori versus Till if Vittori loses. Um, Hermanson is unbooked. I still don't like that fight. I'd like to see some Darren fight someone behind him in the rankings. Um, Sean Strickland and Luke Rockhold are fighting, so that's booked. Um, maybe a Uriah Hall would make sense. Um, you know, there isn't really too much that stands out to me right now. Kevin Holland also. Um, would be an interesting matchup, but um, I don't really think that um, Kevin Holland is going to get an opportunity against someone like Darren Till. Darren, well, maybe. Darren's probably going to slide to 9-10 range. Edmund Shabazian is close. Um, but I'd like to see Darren against a striker um, next. I don't think we need to throw him in there with another grappler at the moment. I think we need to get Till back on track with a win, and then we can move on from there. And that's all I've got for Derek Brunson versus Darren Till. Um, like I said, a lot to talk about there. Brunson and Till are both in very interesting spots in their career. And um, Brunson looking at the top, Till looking to get back, and we will 
See how an, another noteworthy point is Darren Till is still only 28 years old. He's got a lot of time to grow as a fighter. So um, don't count him out quite yet. Um, also, Darren Till training partner, teammate Tom Aspinall also fought, fought on this card. And he looked tremendous. Um, I really like the speed of Aspinall. Rarely do we see heavyweights that fast. And I really liked that final shot that he landed to put Sergei Spivak out. Was pretty impressive. Throws the knee to the body, then comes over the top with the elbow. Lands the elbow in a good spot. Sits Spivak down and then immediately crowds him. Ground and pound. End of the fight. Like I said, the speed stands out to me. I also like how he was able to control the cage. Tom Aspinall did a great job of always having, if you watch that fight, there were few moments where Espinal um, was ever, ever with his back up against the cage. And for the most part, he was always standing on that black octagon outline on the floor of the cage. He was standing on that, um, and then Spivak was crowded up against the fence. And really a lot of pressure there. Um, even if he's not throwing a ton, he's really just chasing down the opponent. The opponent's always, always moving, always moving. And Thomas staying in the face and then a lot of forward pressure, throwing some shots, nothing crazy. You know, he doesn't, he, he throws shots, but it's still for heavyweight. It's a lot of shots. Um, in comparison to a lighter weight class, obviously not, but at heavyweight, that pace, um, would really really wear guys down and then for the most part I guess that wouldn't even matter that much just because if he does connect he's got a lot of power so um power comes first obviously and if you can land a power shot early you're gonna put someone down but even if Aspinall isn't able to land power shots I think he will do a good job wearing down a lot of these heavyweights um some not all heavyweights are in the best shape obviously so I think he would be able be able to wear a lot of guys down in some longer fights some some fights that go into the third round um, even fights if he ever headlines a card or makes it to the championship levels I think he would be a great heavyweight in rounds four and five and we didn't even see any grappling from Aspinall which is one of his more underrated qualities so bright future here for Espinal. What is next? He doesn't want to get pushed that hard. There isn't a lot to work with right now at heavyweight because there are some guys booked. Looking at the rankings, um, who was booked? Chris Dowskis is booked against Shamil. You've got Marcin Tabura, Augusto Sakai, Walt Harris. I believe Augusto Sakai is unbooked. I think that would be a a reasonable step up in competition. Augusto Sakai, who is, is someone who is has been fighting some of the top guys. He fought Jorginho Rosenstrike. He fought Alistair Overeem. Yeah, um, Augusto Sakai is on book, so I think that would be a good decision to or a good a good decision for the UFC to put Aspinall versus Augusto Sakai. Get him in there with someone um, just a slight level above where he's fighting now, move him up slowly, don't pressure him too fast, and then if he can be Augusto Sakai, he would pro Tom Aspinall would probably be looking at breaking into that top six at heavyweight, 
Um, if you've listened before, um, there are some weight classes where I think there's a definitive line in terms of quality. And at heavyweight, I've got that at six. That is, um, those fighters are Francis, Surreal Stipe, Derek Lewis, Curtis Blades, Alexander Volkov, and Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Um, and then at seven, you've got Shamil. So I think from the six to seven spot, there's a big drop off. So that's what I mean um, when I say um, he could move his way into the top six, um, which would be um, very good. And he still wouldn't have to rush too. He wouldn't have to rush too hard once he got in there. He could take on someone like Jarzinho and then move up to a Blades or a Derek Lewis, obviously, depending on how the division plays out there in the top half. But I hope that Tom Aspinall really makes a run here and can break into that top six because I'd really like to see some parity in that top six. Same with Chris Dowskis. It feels like we're running out of matchups to book these guys. Most of these guys have fought each other. Derek Lewis has fought Alexander Volkov. Um, Jorginho is fighting Curtis Blades. Lewis has fought Blades. Um, Rosenstrike has fought... Um, the surreal gun. So there, there really isn't a lot of guys to book in that top six. So getting Dowskis and getting Aspinall in that top six, I think would be really beneficial for that division as a whole. And then, um, Patty Pimblett is the direction we're going to go to next. Patty Pimblett made his UFC debut. If you know anything about Patty Pimblett, Patty Pimblett is a character and he is a tremendous fighter to watch. He is a tremendously entertaining, very popular in Europe, and now he's making his UFC debut. And he lived up to a lot of the hype that he was getting. He got that first round finish, and he did so in an entertaining manner. So went in there, got it done, made it entertaining. First round finish. Um, I don't think Patty, you know, he showed some flaws. He got hit a couple times, um, but he came back from that and eventually put out Luigi in the first round. Great performance by Patty and tremendous moment on the microphone afterwards with Michael Bisbing. You know, if you missed that, go back and watch that interview, his post, um, post-fight press conference. So I really like what we have with Patty here at 155. Um, the question is, who do you book him up with next? Um, there's a lot of ways you can go. I think you need to give him a talented guy, though. Because right now at 155, we've really got a, you know, there's a group of guys. I've mentioned them before. You could, if you wanted to, you could make these lightweight rankings, you know, 16 to 30 as well. They're obviously through 15 right now, but you could make all another section of a 16 to 30, and there's going to be a lot of talented guys. Patty Pimblett is now... Another one of those guys in that um, in that group of fighter. So I think he needs to take on someone else of um, of that caliber. Now the question is, do you give him someone else who is an up and coming contender? Um, because you could give realistically, you could give Patty Pumbaa someone like Gamrot where um, you could give him someone like Gamrot, who was also an up-and-comer up in that division, or you could 
try and find him another really talented guy who is just a little bit on the older side. Maybe a Jeremy Stevens, even Alexander Hernandez. I just pulled up some of these names. Um, Bobby Green is fighting. Hazrat is fighting. Um, maybe a Mark Madsen. You know, Scott Holtzman is another really talented guy. Adaman Azatir. Clay Guida, even maybe. You know, there is no shortage of talent to go around in that division. Mike Davis. Terrence McKinney would be a great fight. Um, maybe you give Michael Johnson um, as like a, you know, Michael Johnson. I don't know if he's even fighting in the UFC anymore, but Michael Johnson always brings a fight. Um, Mason Jones. Like I said, there's a lot of ways where you can go in this Uros Medic. You know, there's a lot of really talented guys here. And, you know, that would actually be a I think a really fun episode kind of looking at some of the guys who aren't ranked in the UFC um, but kind of getting a feeling of where they are um, in terms of almost being ranked that might be an episode that we do um, that might be an episode we do if there's ever a week with no card we might just sit down and talk about some of the unranked fighters that I like put that one in the idea bank and look out for that one so like I said Patty Pimblett book him with whoever, um, probably someone who's not an up-and-comer. Give them a notable name who is just not quite at the top yet. Another person they should do that with is Jack Shore. Jack Shore fought on the prelims of this card as well. He looked great once again. Unfortunately, I was working, so I did miss a little bit of this fight because it was early, but from I tried to watch as much as I could. From what I saw, Jack Shore looked tremendous. A lot of... Um, Jack Shore, obviously tremendous wrestler, probably the best wrestler out of England, and or he's from Wales, but the best wrestler out of you know Western Europe in a really long time, and he really dominated um, Ludwig Shalinian. And if you did watch the Ultimate Fighter, you know Shalinian is a very good wrestler who has a wrestling base. So to, for Jack Shore to be able to go in there and impose his takedown heavy approach against uh, another wrestler is very impressive so I'm really excited to see what Jack Shore can do as well I think Jack Shore is very close to getting a ranked fight at 135 and you could um, you could even make the case he deserves one right now Um, only problem is right now looking at those rankings um, some of those guys are some tough guys to get booked with Um, Obviously, when you're breaking into the rankings, you fight someone top 10 to top 15 usually. Um, but you've got Marlon Vera, who's moving up to fight Frankie Edgar, or moving up in the rankings when I say that. Um, Vera's fighting Frankie Edgar. You've got Hafea, or um, not a Sonso, excuse me. You've got Marab is fighting Marlon Marais. So you've got Song Dong and Cody Stammen, who are ranked but aren't booked. Um, you could do either of those, but I doubt that happens. So I think likely, most likely scenario for Jack Shore is that he fights someone who um, is not yet ranked, but someone who can put him in position to fight a ranked opponent next. Maybe a Ricky Simone, maybe a Casey Kenny, a Tamor Valiev, Ronnie Barcelos. There's a lot of interesting options um, 
those are just a handful for that. And the last thing I'm going to talk about from UFC Fight Night, Brunson versus Till, is going to be Khalil Roundtree and his finish with the oblique kick. Let me start this off by saying this might be the best Khalil Roundtree has looked. I was very impressed with his performance. If you watched it, um, you probably are as well. Now, a lot of people are upset by his finish, and I am not one of those people, and I will explain so here. Um, Khalil Roundtree landed a oblique kick at the most opportune moment in terms of if you're going to finish a fight with it. He landed a oblique kick. Well, Modest, well, um, Modest, us, Popskis was throwing a jab, so all his weight was on his front foot. Roundtree counters the jab with the oblique kick and hurts Popskis' knee, and that, and that ends the fight. So, um, what we saw here was probably the most gruesome way that you can end a fight with an oblique kick. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see anything worse than that. And I've seen some people saying it should be illegal. And I really push back on that. And that is because when you start talking about making the oblique kick legal, illegal, the thing is, is you could very easily come out and say, okay, oblique kick is illegal. And a big question with that is how do you word it in the rule book? If you just refer to it as oblique kick, um, then you have to define that, and I think it can just open up a, um, I don't I don't think anything positive can come from it. We have really only seen two major injuries from oblique kicks within the last year. That would be Bowskis, obviously, last night, and Darren Till against Robert Whitaker. He tore a ligament. John Jones has used them effectively in his career. And so I just don't think we I don't think we need to add very many rules. I think the more rules we add, the further we get from the further we get from the the intent of the sport, you know, the closer we get to boxing with the new rules we add. So um I just don't I just don't like the idea of um adding rules in general and you know that's pretty much my stance on that um i think we're in a good spot right now now we're going to move on to the news section there really wasn't much for news but we do have a handful of fight announcements nothing too crazy or too exciting but there are some really nice fights that i'm going to be looking forward to we're going to take these in order of when they drop so the first one to drop was Brad Riddell versus Rafael Faziv on December 4th. These are two guys ranked from 10 to 15 in that lightweight division. I was surprised they made this matchup. I was really surprised. Um, these are two young up-and-comers, and I really didn't think they were going to book these two against each other. I thought these two were going to climb up the rankings at at lightweight and then eventually meet when they were closer to the top they're going to meet now however um so the winner is going to put themselves in a very good position at lightweight the winner of this is going to break into the top 10 probably um you've got Fiziv at 13 Riddell at 12 and then from there 
you're very close to getting a high-profile opponent. Uh, the winner will be, especially if Aziv wins. He's got a little bit more hype, and I think uh, people are more interested in seeing him against some of the elite lightweights um, than Riddell. But I think that's just from the sense I've gotten um, on social media. I'm really surprised that they didn't do Dan Hooker versus one of these guys. Dan Hooker is fighting Hazrat, um, who is unranked, and I'm surprised. Prize are doing Dan Hooker versus versus an unranked guy. Um, really surprised they didn't try and make um, like a Hooker versus Fazeev. Um, I believe Brad Riddell trains over there with Dan Hooker, if I remember that correctly. So that probably would have been unrealistic. But I am surprised they didn't do something like Fazeev versus Dan Hooker. And then moving on, we had Michael Chiesa versus Sean Brady. This is probably the most shocking of the bunch to me. Um, not. I'm not upset with it, but I was just surprised that we are seeing um, Kiesa return after his, um, he, he didn't lose that long ago when he lost to Luke. It's been very recent. That just shows he's trying to get back in. He's trying to make a run at the top. And fighting Sean Brady is, I don't know how much they get you closer to the top. Because Sean Brady is a tremendous fighter. But I just feel like this is going to be the type of position where if Kiesa can beat Sean Brady, people are just going to say Sean Brady was overrated and was never as good, um, was never as good as people were saying he was. If Sean Brady wins, then he's going to blast up these rankings and get a top five guy next. So for Kiesa, I don't, I just don't think there's much to win here. Um, but I do think it is beneficial for Kiesa to get in there again soon because he didn't really take a lot of damage in his most recent fight. So I think he can fight again. You might as well stay active while you can. And I respect him so much for taking this matchup with Sean Brady. I can't imagine that a lot of people would be answering that phone call to fight Sean Brady. So respect for that. And then we had Alex Pereira versus Andres Mika Aladicic. Uh, that got booked for November 6th. And if you don't know who Alex Pereira is, Alex is the um, fighter who beat Izzy twice in kickboxing. You've probably seen the picture of Izzy the last time he was knocked out. That was against Pereira. So he is making his UFC debut. And I don't know how I feel about this because Pereira is a tremendous kickboxer, obviously. However, Pereira is also older than Izzy was when um, when Izzy made his UFC debut. And I don't know how long he's been training wrestling for. Those are going to be some answers that I think we'll get probably in his debut. But right now, I don't really know um, what to expect. I The only thing I know we can expect is a great striker coming in. How well-rounded is he going to be? I don't know. That's a big question. And like we talked about earlier with Till... Eventually, at 185, if you're going to try and make a run to the title, you are going to run into a wrestler, whether it's Vittori, whether it is Hermanson. I guess um, they're not as big of wrestlers, um, but they are great grapplers. Um, Calvin Gastelum, even Chris Weidman when when he returns, Derek Brunson. There's a lot of guys at 185 who will take you down and try and hold you down, especially if you're a great striker um, like Pereira. I wouldn't be surprised though if they give him a lot of matchups with a lot of P 
pure strikers. So, um, but I guess that's going to be something interesting that we're going to have to look out for. And that was on November 6th. That fight was added. That is UFC 268. Another fight added onto UFC 268 is Shane Burgos versus Billy Quarantillo. I am very surprised I gave Billy Quarantillo a ranked guy. Um, I love Billy Q. He's a great fighter to watch, but I am surprised upon this. And it is a good surprise for me because I... I've got a silly suspicion, as I'm sure most of you do as well, that Shane Burgos versus Billy Quarantillo is going to be a tremendous fight. These to go in there and get in wars. And when you take two guys who get in wars and you put them together, usually you get a war out of it. Um, simple math, nothing too crazy to think about there. But um, it does make for a good fight. And they added that to UFC 268 to beef up those prelims. And now we're going to do a quick rundown of UFC 268 because after these two fights got added, I was very intrigued as to what this card was going to look like. Um, so here's an update for those who don't know. This is UFC 268. We're going to start at the bottom and work our way to the top. Right now, the first fight of the night is Shane Burgos versus Billy Quarantillo. We just talked about that. And these probably are not in order of the way we will see them in November. This is just what we've got down on Tapology right now. And then the next fight, we've got Andreas Mikaladishis. My apologies. That is Greek, and it did not sound Greek. But Andreas versus Alex Pereira. Just talked about that. Then we've got Melsic. We'll just call them Melsic versus TJ Laramie. And then moving on, and TJ Laramie usually gets himself in good fights as well. We've got Al Iaquinta versus Bobby Green. That's got Fight of the Night written all over it. If Billy Q, you know what? This fight card, you're going to have a really hard time coming up with Fight of the Night. So just throwing that out there because there's going to be a lot of bangers. Al Iaquinta versus Bobby Green is one. Then moving on, Jermaine Durandamy versus Irene Aldana. Two top four. Fighters at female, 135 pounds. This is going to be a great matchup. Um, Irene Aldana and Jermaine Durandamy, two great strikers. Two of the best strikers um, in women's MMA. Going to go in there and have a showdown. Then we've got Edmund Shabazian versus Nazodarin Imavov. Another one that is a great fight. Moving on, Frankie Edgar versus Marlon Vera. And after that... Followed by Sean Strickland and Luke Rockhold. Don't know why I put so much emphasis on Rockhold, but it's Luke Rockhold. You know who I'm talking about. And everyone has probably seen the top three fights on this card. Um, but we'll run through them just in case you haven't. Those are Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. Rose Namajunas versus Li Zhang for the strawweight championship and for the welterweight championship in the main event Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington this is probably going to be the best fight card of the year and right now we are looking at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 fights so I imagine we're still going to have to get some fights added onto that and right now we're off to a great start that card is going to be great let's go and we're going to end it. We're going to end this episode the same way we end every episode. 
we're going to look forward to next week's fight card. That is Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann in our main event. And I'm going to be honest, this is not the most excited I have been for a fight card. You know, um, I'm not a big fan of the light heavyweight division in all honesty. And Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann should be a good fight, so... But the problem with this card is not the main event. It is some of the other fights on the card. The next best fight on this card is not the co-main, but it is on the main event. Or excuse me, it is on the main card. That is Christos Giagos versus Armin Tuzarkian. Butchered another one. Joaquin Buckley is also fighting on this card. In the co-main, we've got Ian Kutelaba and Devin Clark. Um... We also have Jim Miller versus Nicolas Mata. And other notable names, probably Ariane Lipsky you've probably heard of. Montel Jackson, maybe. Um, Tefan Nudici. Impa is fighting on this card. Um, so there are some notable names. Tony Gravely, someone who has fought recently, Gustavo Lopez. So nothing too crazy, but there are some fights you're going to want to watch. Oh, um, excuse me. Pene Kianaz, Kianazad and Raquel Pennington are also on this card, female bantamweights. I can't believe that is that not on the main card. Those are two ranked bantamweights, um, female bantamweights. Why is that not on the main card? I don't know, but it's on the prelims for some reason. But... There's going to be some fights you're going to want to watch on this card. Like I said, Joaquin Buckley's fighting. You don't want to miss one of his fights. He'll probably um, he'll probably viciously get knocked out, or he will win viciously by KO. Pretty fun combo. Can't miss a Jim Miller fight. Can't miss an Ian Laba fight. Can't miss an Impa fight. So, you know, there are some good fights to look at on this card. But overall, nothing too crazy. It's going it, to... This is going to be the type of card where there's going to be a lot of fun fights that you enjoy watching, just not a lot that are super meaningful in terms of the implications they have, like Darren Till versus Derek Brunson, big title implications. Um, we just don't have any of those fights on this card that are super impactful, but they should be fun. So um, my prediction for the main event, I've got Anthony Smith. I have doubted Anthony Smith before some of his previous fights, and then he wins. So I'm done doubting Anthony Smith. Um, even though Ryan Spann is very good, and Ryan Spann could win this fight by KO, I would not be surprised, but I'm just leaning Anthony Smith. I think the experience is there, and I think he's on a good hot streak. So I've got Anthony Smith in the main event. So that's all I've got for this week. Thank you for watching this episode of the Headkick KO Podcast. Don't forget to come back next week because we will be talking about the fight card we just spoke about. We'll be doing a recap of that, Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann. We'll touch on some of the other fun fights depending on where those are. And I will look forward to the week after card like I do every week. And I will touch on any news like I do every week. So, next week's episode is going to be a pretty standard episode. Could have just said that. So thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Goodbye.